in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me today are two familiar voices to the show. Always happy to have them. First, from the Steel City, we have Mary Guest. Mary, how are you tonight? I'm great. Um, Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah. And with Mary, if you enjoyed our Predator episode, please check that out. We have Tessa Morrison from Austin, Texas. How are you, Tessa? All right. The strange noises relevant to our episode. We'll get to that in a minute. But we always have a prep question, and maybe a strange creature is making those types of noises. Tonight's film is going to feature a cute creature and then some not-so-cute creatures. Tessa, if you received a mystical creature, or worse, a mystical monster, what are you calling it? Gosh, I mean, I feel like there's so many different schools of thought in like pet naming conventions. Some people like to name their pets after foods. Some people like to name their pets after characters from fiction. Um, I'm of the impression that it's really fun to name pets after like normal human names like Jeff or Katie (laughs) or, you know, Doug or something like that. So when people hear you yelling at your pet, they're like, do you have a child? What is happening? And are they chewing on the rug? You don't know. Yes. We like to name our cats really proper names. So we have Franklin the cat. It's a very proper name for a cat. So you know what's up. Yeah. So you're you're going to have a human named creature that yes. you can yell at to, that maybe someone is that a child you're yelling at or Or is it Mothman? I don't know. But Mothman's name is Jeff now. Uh, I support that. Mary, what are you calling your creature? Well, I'm going to go with the fictional character approach. And um, I would name my mythical creature Artax. After the traumatizing... (laughs) The swamp of sadness. The childhood moment of Artax getting pulled into the swamp. A oh, never-ending no. story. So, yeah, that's my, um, yeah, honorary naming. Yeah. Artex didn't pack their Zoloft. So, so much trauma in early movies. Why, why were they like this? <laughs> because they didn't have the PG-13 rating yet. Yes, yes, relevant to our episode. I am just going to have a little evil creature, and I'm going to call him Boss. Let Boss do their thing, do their little evil thing. Whatever you want to do, Boss. So that is my evil creature. And our second warm-up question, we always ask, Tessa, what's the last movie you saw? 
Um, the last movie I saw was Gremlins because I rewatched it. And the last one I saw in theaters was The Marvels, which people should scope out um, regardless to whatever the haters are saying. And especially those of you out there who are cat owners. I feel like you're really sleeping on this one. Oh, a flurkin. Does a flurkin make an appearance? I love Goose. Yes, Goose. Yes, very good. Mary, what's the last movie you saw? Um, just rewatched Hercules, the original, the Disney version of Hercules. The Disney, not the Dwayne the Rock Johnson one. Exactly, yes. Yes, yes. But that is an unheralded Disney classic, is the original Hercules. Great gospel choir, great soundtrack. Hold that one up. Treasure Planet's another one that got lost in that weird shuffle after the Golden Age. As for me, I lost a bet. And what happens when I lose a bet? I have to watch 2019's Cats. And it's terrifying, it's terrible, and it is two hours long. So this is a reigning four-year tradition. When I lose bets, my friends, my family members, and even people I am no longer going to be friends with, they make me watch this movie. It, uh, yeah, I, I love horror movies. I'm afraid of the movie cats. I don't like people dressed as animals with face paint. It's just a thing. I don't do it. Now we know how to torture Chad. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It really is. When we get to 2019, I can see Dustin or Brian, like that's their dealer's choice is picking cats just to force Russell defends it. The music's great. Everything else, not so great. But we've already had something relevant to our movie title today. I am going to be introducing 1984, fantastic year, by the way. We are doing Gremlins. This stars the unknown at that time, Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Francis Lee McCain, and Polly Holiday. I said it is released in 1984, and it is actually and unfortunately released the same day as the Juggernaut Ghostbusters. Joe Dante points out the Gremlins did worse in pretty much every city it was up against Ghostbusters, with the exception of New York, where the residents had not forgotten about the road closures and delays. So Gremlins <laughs> always did better in New York City. As a budget of $11 million, it does gangbusters at $148 million domestically. That places it at number four in the box office. Huge year for movies. The movie they placed ahead of it Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, its partner in crime and getting the PG-13 rating. We will talk about that shortly. Right behind it is The Karate Kid. Number two was Ghostbusters. And number one, we have an episode on this, people. Check it out. Beverly Hills Cop. So what a year in movies. Includes Nightmare on Elm Street. Going to throw that out there. We've got an episode for that, too. So check that out. IMDb rating of 7.3. Our critics from Rotten Tomatoes give this an 86%, and the audience score is 78%. Our favorite critic in Leonard Maltin, he was not very kind to this film. He does get his just desserts in the sequel. He said, I know some people found this movie fun, but me, I'd rather spend two hours having root canal done. What's fun about having ugly, slimy, mean-spirited, gloomy little monsters run amok and attack innocent people. Are moviegoers so desperate for entertainment? Hopefully we will answer those questions. It does, despite Leonard Moulton's protests, win several awards. We've got our Saturn Saturn Awards. It wins five of them. 
wins Best Horror Film, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress in Polly Holiday, Best Music, Jerry Goldsmith, Best Special Effects from Chris Wallace. And it does get nominated for three others, Best Supporting Actor with Dick Miller, Best Younger Actor, Corey Feldman, and Best Writing with Chris Columbus, who is going through some things in this film. He does <laughs> go on to direct Home Alone. We've covered that too. Get a Young Artist Awards winner for Best Family Motion Picture in an Adventure category. I really don't know about that win. We'll talk about that as well. Russell, very cruelly and probably just to irk me, has put in AFI distinctions in A. Like, why? Why, why do you do that to me, sir? I, <laughs> why, why taunt me here? Right. I, I also take offense to saying that the gremlins uh, terrorize innocent people. Like, right. I'm pretty sure a few of those folks probably had it coming. But a- Absolutely. Mrs. Deagle had it coming. Absolutely. We know nothing about the guy in the Santa suit. We have no idea if he was deserving of such treatment or not. <laughs> it's true. He was, he was on the naughty list. Is someone always guilty of something? Absolutely. <laughs> so, Tessa, yes. you, were the, you were our guest that picked Gremlins. It had never before even been shortlisted. Have you seen this movie? Oh, yeah. I last uh, time we met up and you brought it up, I had a gremlin replica skull a friend of mine gave me because it had imperfections in it. And they were like, are you sure you want it? It's got some bubbles. And I just did the gimme, gimme hands. I'm like, just gimme. It is so Um, cool. It was really fun. Um, I got a little figurine from Japan. My brother brought me back of Gizmo and my makeup pouch has mogwais and gremlins all over it. Um, so yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of this franchise. First, second film, and even the uh, animated series was all right. Excellent, excellent. And Mary, have you seen Gremlins before? Oh yeah, uh, it's one of those movies where I didn't remember life without this movie. It's sort of uh, always been in my awareness, and I mean, it's definitely one of those '80s nostalgia movies which I still enjoy a whole lot, but it is, you know, eye-opening to come back to it as an adult and, you know, see some of the things that I didn't notice as a kid (laughs) Um, and just enjoy it despite those quirks. Um, And it is what it is and we love it. It's definitely a different lens when you have little kids, but I'm the same way. This was, my parents didn't really approve of horror movies, but for whatever reason, this was the movie that I was allowed to have and it was mine and it was my sister's and we watch it every single year during the holidays. It's just something that stuck with me. I was like, Tessa, I, I had the Nintendo NES game of Gremlins. It was just, it was my franchise. I really, really enjoyed this. I love the sequel as well. Very, very different movie. Was the game, the Gremlins game, better than the E.T. game? Yes. Yes, okay. the, the disaster of an E.T. game that crashed the video game market. Yes. Oh, yeah. The only reason I bring it up is like that's kind of why Gremlins ended up happening is they actually wanted a sequel to E.T. Yeah. And there was like talks of doing that. So there's a lot of like sort of like ufo alien sort of like references in this movie anyways oh yeah there's a ton of easter eggs and if you haven't seen gremlins 
we are going to spoil the movie. Put us on pause. Go check it out. Even if you need a refresher, go check out this wonderful movie. We will be back to spoil this movie. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. Last warning before I spoil 1984's Gremlins. Check it out. Billy Peltzer receives a special Christmas gift in the form of a small furry creature known as a mogwai. Billy affectionately calls him Gizmo. Billy's inventor father tells him there are only three important rules. Don't expose the mogwai to sunlight because it will die. Don't let it come in contact with water. And the most important rule, never feed it after midnight. Predictably, the rules get broken. First, Gizmo gets wet due to Billy's friend spilling water on him. This causes new mogwais to appear who are considerably rowdier than Gizmo. Next, the mogwais get some chicken wings by convincing Billy it's not after midnight. However, they've chewed through Billy's alarm clock wires. The spawn mogwai go into a pupae stage where they eventually transform into reptilian monsters nicknamed gremlins. The gremlins terrorize the town, even killing Billy's teacher, and the obnoxious Mrs. Deagle. Billy's girlfriend Kate helps tra- helps him track down the little green menaces and manages to kill all the gremlins while they're watching Snow White at the theater. All the gremlins, that is, except for the leader, Stripe. A showdown occurs, and right as Stripe is about to spawn more gremlins, Gizmo opens a skylight and kills him. The original owner of Gizmo tracks down Billy and reclaims the Mogwai, stating it was too much of a responsibility right now. But one day, Billy might be ready. I feel like that was really gracious of him to be like, Billy, it's not your fault your dad's an idiot who steals stuff. Well, not steals it, but buys something behind my back through my nephew or grandson. Yeah, and several people in the town are dead. Their vehicles crashed all over the place. He's just like, it's okay. Maybe someday. You're right. <laughs> that was that was very chill of him. He was, he was very uh, sage and wise. Maybe he's tired of the responsibility. <laughs> I, I read a fan theory of Gizmo is well-behaved as opposed to the other Mogwai because he was raised by this responsible old man for what's probably a long time versus the Mogwais being under Billy, who is just whatever. Here's chicken wings. <laughs> he, he's not a good caretaker. That's an interesting theory. Um yeah, the whole background of the Mogwai, like I had the novelization, I had the coloring book, like I told you, I went hard. Oh, so you know the space thing and Yeah. So yeah. as I was saying earlier, they wanted a sequel to to E. T. And there's a scene even where Stripe goes, Phone home and like yes. cuts the phone line. And then also 
the original plot is the gremlins uh, are aliens that crash landed in like feudal China or something. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, we get this in better form with the movie Critters, which I love. That is a great, great B movie. Fantastic 80s movie. So, yeah, I, I actually asked Russell this question about is the Mogwai must have come from another planet that they could thrive without coming into contact with water. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's obvious. And so he's like in the mindset of don't pick it apart. I have to pick it apart. I need Same. to know where Gizmo comes from Same. and why Gizmo is this chill, cute little fuzzy creature. And his offspring are a nightmare. Like, yeah, like a little housebound. <laughs> can, can Gizmo have a healthy offspring if he so chooses, he or she so chooses? We don't know. No. Um, but it seems like we would want more Gizmos in the world. <laughs> yeah, they're so cute. Well, they're ornery, but they're still pretty cute looking. Right. Right, right. I mean, they're ornery in a good way, but... <laughs> We're going to eat people. <laughs> True. The googly-eyed one did mostly nothing wrong. <laughs> mostly. Yeah, I well, feel like you need to set up a table that says, change my mind. Right. <laughs> yes. I'll sit there with my coffee. So my notes literally say, what came first, the, the, the gizmo or the, mo- or, or, or the gremlin, the mogwai or the gremlin, you know, was there, um, is, is gizmo actually the unusual one? He is. Mm. The novel goes into it. He's he's like bioengineered to be the good Mogwai, where oh, everything else is, is somewhat evil. I okay. don't remember the rhyme or reason, but there is weirdly deep Gremlins lore for yeah. this. So you can go as deep or as shallow as you want. And you, this movie doesn't pretend to make sense. And, yeah. and we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, first I want to talk about this this movie was originally slated for a Christmas release, but when Joe Dante and crew saw they didn't have any summer competition, there was no big summer blockbuster, they released it early. The problem, like I said, is Ghostbusters got the same idea at the same time. So that wound up being a big oops. Given that information, we've got to answer the age-old debate that people love having about movies where Christmas is going on. Is Gremlins a Christmas movie, Tessa? Yes, 100% yes. I. Is there a Santa? Check. Is there a story about some curmudgeonly old person who needs to change their ways? Yes. Do they? Not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's snow. There's Christmas music. There's a Christmas tree. There's gingerbread cookies. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a Christmas gift, which is gizmo. There's caroling. Uh, there's caroling. Yeah. And so I feel like it, it falls under it is a it is a comedy horror and also a Christmas movie. Mary, are you convinced? Is this a Christmas movie? I I am convinced it's a Christmas movie, but I can see the other arguments to where the theme isn't necessarily a Christmas theme. But I I I still err on the side of this is a Christmas movie. I mean, if you want the Hallmark warm and fuzzies, this is probably not your go-to, although it is mine. It is my favorite Christmas movie. But yeah, if you're if you're dialing up, uh, when we tried to record this last week, I had told everyone my wife had me watch uh, 
I forget what it was, but it was like a hotline for baking a turkey. And he fell in love with the voice, but also met the woman and didn't know it was her. And it was a whole big thing of saying, I'm in love with this voice, not her. And then he gets mad that it's the same person, which is weird. Wait, I'm sorry. Where are you getting this movie? (laughs) Yeah. It was Hallmark. This is not one I'm going to be watching. (laughs) It was a Hallmark movie. So. So yes, my my wife and I had a date night, and occasionally I will just relent and say, "Go ahead, go ahead and pick, put pick on uh, city city woman comes back to country and learns valuable lesson." Like that's that's the plot line for all of these. It's yeah. not my cup of tea, but they make millions, so I'm I'm doing it wrong. Where where is the Christmas movie where? Uh... Country woman sees that guy that she's been with since high school is an idiot, leaves him, goes to the big city where she carves out her own career path. I would like I, the inverse, please. I I feel like Mix we're a year a or two bit. away from that. So yeah. so we that will probably be available. I think I I I think that Gremlins has some Christmassy themes of of you know non-materialism and billy appreciating christmas for what it is um and also there's something about this that even in the humor it's a little bit woke and sort of different than a lot of christmas movies where they actually talk about the aspect that some people are depressed during the holidays you know like that's something they don't talk about in a lot of christmas movies they talk about seasonal affective disorder they talk about suicide rates going up during the holidays you know this is maybe not a really super duper feel good fuzzy feeling christmas movie but i think it's more realistic about life and how some people view christmas and billy's like that's a really good point yeah minus the ridiculous story about the dad getting stuck in the chimney but we're gonna just like gloss over that there there is so much (laughs) darkness to your point yeah the the a character being depressed about christmas is actually really refreshing to see in a movie kate does bring up a good point like why is that the holiday you're not allowed to like so i i do appreciate that that point of if you don't like christmas that's fine you're not ebenezer scrooge you're just it's not your thing leave that person alone but yeah, there there's some darkness there. And speaking of that, Chris Columbus's original script was a ton more violent. Believe it or not, after watching this movie, the gremlins kill Barney the dog, which is a huge crime. Don't do that. And decapitate the mother and roll her head down the stairs towards Billy. Leonard Malton already feels this movie is too violent. Warner Brothers... They're reading this script and they're like, Chris, what is going on here? You, you can't do this. This is a family movie. They won awards for it being a family movie. This this does go on to be it it's like the it's held up as the example of this shouldn't be PG. So this and Temple of Doom, you know, we we learn faces melting off. That's a bit too much for children as well. And but how else will they learn, Chad? Uh, again, you just, we do need to teach the kids, do not open ancient religious artifacts like those. Don't touch the Ark. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. We have Bible stories. Dudes literally fell over dead from touching it. Read about Azza. It's there. So yeah, that's educational. Maybe don't melt their face. Melt their face off screen. But 
this does get at the PG-13 rating going forward. So these were the types of movies. That being said, even though the gremlins are toned down, are they too mean-spirited for you? Mean-spirited? Yes. Yes. Hmm. I mean, they, they are, uh, they're killing people left and right. I mean, they killed two people that we know of. And even the teacher, are we sure the teacher's dead? Like, Oh, he's, teacher's- he's very dead. Oh, okay. Well, he's under the desk with like a needle sticking out of his butt. Uh, yeah that's a good point i don't think billy actually checked to see if he was still breathing and did he even mention the teacher was dead to the police no no billy is terrible at almost everything you should do he's an incompetent kid (laughs) right that's a very good point i didn't notice that the teacher could definitely have still been alive and (laughs) wasn't gonna make it if nobody called 911 yeah Uh, awesome they do change a lot of those deaths, though. Like Gremlins 2, the townspeople are brought back and they have minor injuries. Mr. Mr. Futterman? Yeah. I love that guy. Murray oh and his God. wife. I love them. He's that actor. Um, God, what's his name? Hold on. Are you talking about Dick Miller? Yes. I've seen Bucket of Blood. Yes. If you want to see an old movie with uh, Mr. Futterman in it, 1959's Bucket of Blood. Which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, he's a a dude, a beatnik that wants to be like a famous artist. And um, he accidentally kills a cat and covers it in plaster and passes it off as a sculpture and gets famous. Anyways, it's insane. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Futterman's great. Um, And then something I noticed really recently as far as like the cast goes, um, one of the police officers... Um, is Jonathan Banks, a.k.a. Yeah. Mike from Breaking Bad. Right, yes. So one, the police officer's drunk on eggnog. Yeah, yeah. he's in the background. He he shows up in a lot of those roles. For I feel like we've, we've had a Jonathan Banks in the background in some other movie we covered recently, and I can't remember what really? it was. Yeah. He's like, where's Waldo of movies? Exactly. Mary, are the are the gremlins too mean spirited for you? You talk about okay, I'm a parent now. I'm watching this with a different lens. I mean, we wouldn't have a movie if they weren't. I mean, them them wrecking this town is kind of why we watch <laughs> the movie. So I'm yeah. not sure that we would remember it at all if the gremlins weren't mean spirited. If they were just wild and crazy and reckless, I mean. That might be amusing, but we wouldn't be the, you know, cult classic that it is, you know, but that's, that's the magic of it. This cute little adorable thing. And then <laughs> the town being completely decimated by its, um, by its spawn. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's part of the, the movie magic here. We do get that in the sequel of toned down gremlins that don't really kill anyone they're just harassing a pseudo donald trump type character he's he's an interesting guy Uh, that being said what is your favorite bit of mischief because there's a ton that's going on in this movie what made you grin the most Hmm. i mean the the christmas caroling outside of mrs deagle's place and then Mm. messing with her little chairlift to <laughs> basically effectively kill her and shoot her out into the street and add um, several floors onto her house 
Yes. Yeah. Before shooting her out the window. <laughs> the architects break again. <laughs> she went up at least three stories, maybe you know, four. She, she lives in a TARDIS, Mary. <laughs> right. Bigger on the inside. Um, anyway. <laughs> I got her. I got her. I got her. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of... Um, what this could have been when we talked about Billy's mom being killed. I think I said before, like, imagine that movie. Imagine the revenge movie we could have gotten instead. Imagine, if you will, the almost director that we almost had, which was Tim Burton. He almost directed this. Yeah. Yeah. He hadn't had a feature film under his belt just then. So he got passed up. Because the but, last thing he did was Frank and Weenie. Which is. Wait. Are you saying the last thing he did recently? Because I like no at the time, like he hadn't done a feature length thing recently. At the time, he had just finished the live action short film Frank and Weenie. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was a short film at the time. Mm. Because I I like the movie. It's fun. Yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like thirty eight minutes or something, or forty six. It's like just almost a feature length, but not quite. Okay. Yeah, Tim Burton's would be that would be very interesting to see. He does darkness quite well. I want to save my best bit of Gremlin's mischief for last, but the bar scene where they're chain smoking and flashing and just pounding alcohol is, it will never not be funny. And Stripe playing poker with the rest of the gang and the the lady Gremlin is with him. There's a like noir Gremlin in the background. Then someone comes up doing a puppet show to this noir Gremlin and he just cartoonishly gets whacked. I just everything about that is fantastic. It's just zany. I have to say my my favorite gremlin mischief probably is when they're on uh, Mr. Futterman's house and they're messing with his antenna and he's getting oh, all yes. angry because his TV is not working. <laughs> <laughs> Told you we should have bought a like Zenith. Swing it on it like it's a set of monkey bars or something. I yeah, I that that was a simple scene, but I just that really got me that anger about not being able to get the channel he wanted to get. Yes. It's because there's gremlins on his antenna. I don't know. That was just one, just, just a scene that amused me a whole lot. Everything that isn't American made is just awful. Yeah. Yeah. He was a bit, um, I don't know, maybe a little anti-immigrant maybe, or just anti-not non-American made goods, I guess. Yeah. He, he may have come in. Well, he's a bit too, young for that despite him being portrayed as old but a lot of that attitude comes out of world war ii so might have learned it from parents or grandparents was he he talked a lot about world war ii i mean was he the right age for that i didn't do the math i I don't think so he would be like a child more like korea war the the korean war maybe yeah anyway yeah yeah tangent anti (laughs) overanalyzing <laughs> the character's backstory. Right. Yeah. So we can yeah move this, on. <laughs> this movie falls apart under under intense scrutiny. But Mary, yeah. you did mention what makes this movie memorable. And this if this original plan, Gizmo was going to be a bad guy. Steven Spielberg wanted someone in the audience or wanted someone for the audience to cheer for, so he changed it joe dante actually credits steven spielberg with why the film is remembered so fondly today basically if 
if Gizmo and Stripe are the same character, nobody remembers this movie. Nobody keeps it up. So what makes Gizmo so endearing? I mean, his cute little Gizmo voice. I think that is a lot of it. Howie Mandel. Yeah, his voice work is just really great. I mean, I think some cues were taken from Gizmo for, you know, Baby Yoda. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I definitely think there was just some, not, not copying, but just inspiration. I still will run around going, bright light, bright light. (laughs) (laughs) Tessa, what makes Gizmo endearing to you? Oh, gosh. Um, Just the scale, his little proportions, his little stumpy arms with his three little fingers, and he's all fuzzy and his big ears, big flopsy ears and big eyes and, you know, just everything about him. They definitely were like, okay, how can we make this as cute as humanly possible? We have toys to sell. We have dolls we need to sell. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, well, not wrong, but but uh, yeah, he was a really sweet design. It's really interesting they came up with that because didn't like Joe Dante and his old roommate kind of like base this off of rats living in their apartment? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the backstory of them writing this is their, their apartment had rats and such. And Spielberg changed a lot of the design. He made him. Gizmo have white patches and and less fur on his ears and bigger ears and things like that. The original Gizmo was kind of creepy because Mogwai is Cantonese for devil, demon, or gremlin. So that's Mm. where they're getting that name. And Gizmo is the inspiration for the 90s Furby dolls. So if if we remember the Furby dolls, they repeat everything you say. They were banned from FBI buildings because they were giving away national secrets. Really? Yes. Yes. What? What? Yeah, that was a big thing back in the day is people would bring their Furby dolls into government buildings and they would pick up conversations. That's not how Furbies really work. I had a couple. So it had pre-programmed phrases that it would slowly unlock the more you played with it. (sighs) And it wasn't quite as high tech AI as they tried to make it seem. Like, I'm sure they could hide a microphone in a Furby and it did have sound sensors, but it didn't really have anything that could record what you were saying. Unless okay. someone put a different device inside the mm-hmm. Furby, which is yeah. possible yeah. to get it through security, knowing that a Furby would have an electronic <laughs> elements inside of it. Maybe I've fallen for an urban legend. I just remember all my friends trying to get their Furby to curse. Oh, no, you have to you have to open it up and you have to like reprogram it and stuff like you could probably customize it. But it had um, it spoke furbish until you played with it enough that it would, quote unquote, learn English. It basically unlocked the words after a certain amount of time. Ah, there we go. Toys that made us. We need yeah. to. I don't think we ever had a Furby in our house that I remember. But there was an incident with a Tickle Me Elmo that kept talking in the middle of the night. Creepy. Ooh. Yeah, it actually was like. I think I remember creepy. that. Just <laughs> almost. Right, right. It went, it went, as my parents would put it, to live with the garbage man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you someone who absolutely did not like Gizmo. The special effects crew absolutely oh. hated Gizmo, and they dreamt up things they could do to him as the puppet was very, very small, and it often broke down. 
And one of their wish list items actually did make it into this movie. So when Gizmo is on that dartboard and the gremlins are tossing Aww. darts, that uh, that is part of their wish list. They're like awful things we could do to Gizmo. So that Aww. they got that into the movie. I I could see that that they really were annoyed with that puppet because there's the scene where um, Gizmo falls off the counter and he hurts his head. And they're going to put a bandage on it. And he's sitting on the sink in the bathroom, I want to say. And for them to operate that puppet, there was like a hole cut out on the top of that counter. And there was a person underneath with all the cords operating the puppet underneath that counter. Yeah, I'm sure they were just looking at Joe Dante and saying, can't he be bigger? Please. <laughs> just no. <a> little... <laughs> right. <laughs> And, yeah, we have- and some of the scenes in Billy's room, like especially the scene where um, Corey Feldman's character is meeting Gizmo for the first time, you can tell that they're really doing some gymnastics with objects on the desk and the way they're <laughs> positioning the camera and the people and the puppet that they are struggling to conceal the puppet work. So I think they've done a really clever job of it yeah Um, yeah. and you don't really notice that kind of Mm -mm. stuff unless you're looking for it um i think they did just a brilliant job of making gizmo seem as real as he did you know it's really kind of brilliant work but it must have been so challenging Um, oh yeah and I know I, I listened to something that says that that's why we don't see Gizmo walk. It's just, a, it was just too challenging. <laughs> so they came up with the idea of put Gizmo in the backpack and he'd just be carried around. Yeah. Well, they, the large portion of him in the backpack and just kind of along for the ride is also part of the script change from Gizmo being also Stripe to just being Gizmo. That makes um, sense. Cause he yeah. would have been, he would have been wrecking the town too. Yeah, there was nothing written for him to do other than be in the backpack and repeat words cutely every once in a while. And I, I, you know, it's it is kind of obvious, you know, uh, a pointy-eared, cute character riding around in a backpack. I mean, we saw that in The Empire Strikes Back. How many years (laughs) previous? So I'm not knocking them. It was a good idea to be able to, you know, make Gizmo more real. But you know, it's not the first time we saw a cute character riding around in a backpack. But you're right, we forget about that for, geez, 30-some years, and then all of a sudden everyone goes nuts for Grogu. Why? When will we ever learn? Like, you can make bank by just making something small, say cute, gibberish, and have pointy ears. I've just made somebody a million dollars. Do that. (laughs) We do have three rules for caring for our Mogwai, though. And Zach Galligan, he was the very first to point out the don't feed them after midnight rule makes absolutely no sense. And we do get this lampooned in a lot in Gremlins 2. So if you come away from this movie complaining about the rules, go see Gremlins 2. It will fix all that. Do the rules need to make sense for you to enjoy this movie? Mm, not really. The, the The vagueness of the rules does leave you wondering. I mean, yeah. it leaves you thinking about the rules, the what ifs, as the movie's you know advancing so i think that that's actually potentially a good thing for the viewer's enjoyment of the movie because it's engaging the viewer and thinking about the rules as yeah. um because the kid the kid just rattles off these rules 
like it's nothing. Like it yeah. needs no extra explanation when it's obviously normal. it needs a lot of explanation. Right. So uh, it does, you know, it is, you know, why is the dad not asking a billion questions? having just gotten these rules about this unknown species that he's going <laughs> to give to his son. <laughs> Why is this dad not coming up with all these questions that the viewers have? We do this, have the answer. This brilliant for... inventor, <laughs> he's not thinking this through. We have the answer for the first one. Don't put him in sunlight because he'll die. But the other sure. two really don't tell you what's going to happen. And then there's Billy just going ham with an of eyedropper of water in front of the teacher. He's like, look, don't get it wet. Eye drop. Eye drop. Stop. Stop doing that. Well, he's trying to make only one yeah. <laughs> gremlin at a time. Uh yeah, so the the water thing, I I can't come to grips with that one because, you know, look at them in the bar and they're spilling beer everywhere. Yeah. I mean, any kind of alcohol has water content. Walking in snow. Why is that melt. walking in snow? Is Peter going to melt the snow? Why are there not little bubbles of mogwai leading up to the uh, YMCA being birthed well, then- along the path? I don't understand this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but my mind can't get off of it. And they're, they're, they're like splashing beer everywhere and spilling it on the counter. And like, wouldn't the beer have the same effect? How I mean, if it was a Lone Star or Paps Blue Ribbon, yeah, maybe not some other beers. I don't know. Or maybe it would have so, make some other even worse creature. It'd just <laughs> if be it's a really not just drunk, water, drunk right. gremlin. Um, <laughs> I do, I do appreciate the design for, and they show it more. I think in Gremlins too, the birthing of the gremlins out of the back. And where it looks like it's a certain type of frog or toad where it births the baby eggs out of its back. And if it's anybody who has like a phobia of pores mm. um, are just going to be grossed out. Yeah. It's so disgusting. Like, why was I like, into this movie as a kid? I don't know. It is super gross. And they've Definitely. actually done a very good job of making some really gruesome kind of effects with the puppets. Oh, Yeah the the one in the microwave that just mm-hmm. again with 1984 and melting we just face melt things and that's what we did <laughs> and then we show them to our children and we're like here you go kids you'll be fine our generation's fine uh- <laughs> yeah we're all okay <laughs> we're okay. totally fine we don't really? have weird senses of humor whatsoever no. right And lastly, our big bad here is Stripe. Like I said, he was initially going to be Gizmo, and they mercifully changed it. Tessa, you have made some fantastic artwork of Stripe. Oh, thanks. Do you like his design, and and do you wish there were more unique gremlins like Stripe throughout? Um, I mean, in Gremlins 1, we only get pretty much him being sort of the standout gremlin. Um, and, and even when he was a Mogwai, the Mogwai all kind of looked the same except for him. Um, we get more of like a disparity and more of a, mm, I guess not disparity, but a variety of gremlin designs in the second film. It'd have been nice if they had some other ones in this. The only thing that really kind of connotates a difference is what they're wearing. Yeah. So the jazzercise gremlin and yeah. The streaker, the, the <laughs> jazz one, the one with the 
popcorn bags over his ears, the one that looks like a mobster or a burglar and yeah. just yeah, so it's they're pretty much all the same looking gremlin besides stripe for the most part and i do like his design he's he's a little bit more um sharp edged his cheekbones he's got some pointy spikes and scales and along with his uh kind of like mohawk on the top i just had this horrible image in my mind of would this be an elementary school teacher's nightmare (laughs) could you imagine being an elementary school teacher and you'd be like okay that's that kid and that's that kid and oh and there's that kid (laughs) am i totally off base here thinking that this is like depending on what your point of view is (laughs) could be even more terrifying um than how i see it i'm sure there's teachers that watch this and they're like oh yeah i had that student Hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Hopefully they didn't have the streaker kid. <laughs> Lastly, and this, this is probably my favorite quote from Joe Dante with regard to gremlins. I still have no idea why this picture was successful. He says he prefers gremlins too, at which they backed up the truck. And if you ever want to do a case study of a movie and how it got made, that is the one to do. It is just fascinating. Everything that goes right for it and just the wildness. Key and Peel do an amazing sketch, too, of how Gremlins 2 got made. <laughs> it's just fantastic. You're just saying verb or noun and gremlin. And I love it. <laughs> but we almost have some Breakfast Club in here. Emilio Estevez and Judd Nelson, they audition for Billy. But Steven Spielberg urged Zach Galligan to audition for the role, and he puts his head on Phoebe Cates' shoulder as they're auditioning, and Steven Spielberg looks at him and says, they're in love already. He's already in love with her. So he just thought Zach Galligan was perfect. Uh, Phoebe Cates, there was some pushback for her because she had just done Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like this this was not how she was going to be typecasted. She had been typecasted almost as the sex symbol. And here she's this sweet girlfriend that wears a lot of clothes. She's not wearing the bikini out of the pool. That's that's not her character. She's... Uh, you don't know. It's December. That's that's true. But I, I feel like had they wanted to, they could have found a, an excuse for Phoebe Kate Cates. Wilden. Yeah. Yeah, we we come into a nightgown or something. They didn't do any of that with Phoebe Cates. I but. guess they had an opportunity to. They uh, they did have a YMCA indoor pool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We didn't need to recreate Fast Times that would run high. That would, it definitely would not have been PG at that point. Bit more Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, yeah. Another another one of her unique movies. That was a weird one from my childhood too. Mm-hmm. I feel like somehow we all encountered that. Uh, And Tessa did mention that Tim Burton was originally considered, but he'd never directed a feature-length movie. So we we passed on him for Joe Dante. We do get some fun cameos. Uh, Steven Spielberg, he is riding a bicycle in the background. And Howie Mandel, we know him a lot better now. He is the voice of Gizmo. So this film... Chris Columbus, he's he starts out as a writer. He writes Gremlins, Goonies, and Young Sherlock Holmes. 
That's a pretty good resume. Then he turns to directing. He directs Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire, Adventures in Babysitting, and the first two Harry Potter movies. Depending on where you are on Harry Potter, that may not be a good thing. I don't know. Uh, Our cinematographer, also a Joe Dante favorite, his name is John Hora. He, He works on Inner Space, which is a really fun movie, and also does Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, the sequel to... Honey, I shrunk the kid. I don't. I don't know. Honey, I, I shrunk the kids. Plural. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm out. I'm out on Honey, I blew up the kid. I. I don't know what that is. Uh, Joe Dante's other works. This is what a weird film to inspire Steven Spielberg's confidence. 1978's Piranha. Steven hmm. Spielberg sees Piranha and loves it, so he hires Joe Dante to work on Twilight Zone anthology. Uh, he does The Howling, which is still the book. Bo- best werewolf trans uh, transition ever uh he does gremlins the burbs with tom hanks and princess leia herself we get gremlins 2 looney tunes back in action small soldiers i don't i don't know any of his new movies burying the x or nightmare cinema uh, yeah. i'm out on those but small soldiers was a big thing so Jodonte had a good amount of my childhood and if the set looks familiar here uh, our set is kingston falls it is the same set as back to the future both movies were filmed on the universal studios back lot and we did mention the cameo of it it's a wonderful life kingston falls is actually meant to mimic that set as well as far as wardrobes costumes makeup were you guys enjoying the amount of wardrobes that went into puppeteering here. Like the Gremlins, they may not have a ton of personality, but they've got a ton of wardrobe. I mean, the yeah, you got to make a bunch of miniature clothes, which uh super fun. I've had to do that for puppets and stuff before, um, making tiny clothes. It's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, the puppets in this are great. The costuming was, for the humans overall, was okay. I mean, it was pretty... 80s if you will the yeah i don't think they were really going for anything uh, other than just what you know average people would be wearing on a normal day in small town 1980s so yeah it kind of is yeah um i was kind of struggling to come up with you know what what is an interesting wardrobe moment in that context because i don't really necessarily consider all the the amazing work on the puppetry do we put that in the category of wardrobe i guess in in some ways yes i did i did just it's a costume the ski mask the hats the jazzercise the trench coats all of those are a costume designer that's having to scale it way way down Tessa, you said you'd done a ton of research, so I assume you came across this, but do you know who was originally planned to play the Gremlins? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't think I do know that. Monkeys. Monkeys oh. are the answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, reptiles don't laugh. Reptiles don't laugh. <laughs> I, I hope not. We we attempted monkeys for gremlins because the monkeys are cheaper than animatronics and puppets. But here's what happens when you put a gremlin head on a test monkey. They panic. They lose their mind. The monkey tore apart Joe Dante's uh, office and then it defecated everywhere. 
course. And, and so the special effects guru, uh, Chris Wallace, he looks at Joe Dante, whose office had just been destroyed, and he goes, so puppets? puppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice, guys. Good choice. Yeah. There's zero chance these monkeys are Christmas caroling or doing whatever else. So it was the right decision. But it was an expensive one. The animatronics for each gremlin was about thirty to forty thousand dollars. Jesus. And Gizmo was redesigned a couple of times. Steven Spielberg said wanted him to go from brown to brown and white. Having bigger ears, they all make the right call. But Chris Wallace hated Spielberg for all these changes. Mm. They were stretched thin in time and budget. And then I mentioned the no bright lights, but that's actually actually practical. I genuinely think they put that rule in to make their movie look better. It's We, <laughs> we still do it in 2023. Look at sure. uh, the Robert Pattinson Batman movie, which was practically filmed in a closet. You can't tell anything. No bright lights. No bright lights. Right. The puppets didn't look all that great, apparently. So if they're brightly lit, it's really easy to see the flaws. So keeping them in the dark and camouflaging them helps that problem. We do it in 2023 with CGI. Anytime there's CGI, we're turning out the lights. And I hate that trend. It works in Gremlins. Gremlins is a darker movie. It doesn't need to be that way in 2023. We can do better. Well, I mean, there's a certain charm to it. We don't need to, as viewers, see the details on a movie like this. We're, we're, there's a certain amount of creepiness that comes from what's happening in the areas of the film that we aren't seeing. We're seeing all hell break loose in a dimly lit air in a dimly lit bar. What's happening in the corners that we aren't seeing? Yeah. Even worse, probably. See it on the Blu-ray. <laughs> Just let the imagination to... fill in the gaps. Sometimes I don't think that's actually that bad of a strategy. Absolutely. And our soundtrack. We've got our main theme. It's probably been stuck in your head all week. Do you like the main theme? Absolutely. There's something fun about that theme though, right? It's very carnival-like. I love yeah. it. it. It just makes all the mischief, even when they're just horribly maiming people and they're in the homes, like strangling people in the shadows. But that it, music is playing and I'm like, bobbing along. That's one of the elements that keeps me remembering this movie. Yeah. That, that you know, theme kind Jerry of sets Goldsmith. the right tone. And yeah, it's just so fun and mischievous that, you know, it's interesting. No, I'm glad no. that it doesn't have a more serious sound to it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, we do get that very low brassy with strings and synthesizers from time to time, but the theme gets mixed with Christmas carols, and it, it's never taking itself too seriously. Mary, I know Russell hates when 80s music gets put into movies. Are you <laughs> up for super madness? Um, I You oh. know, I don't necessarily agree with him when hating all music that came from the 80s <laughs> you know that's kind of you know his soapbox that he gets on he doesn't like electronic you know sort of synthesizer type sound and yeah i love, yeah. I love right. it. No, I, 
some of my favorite soundtracks like Blade Runner is literally one of my favorite soundtracks ever and it's all sort of that 80s synthesizer sound but it's how it's done you know if you're going to do it like a corny pop song it's not going to sound good but when you like use your tool in the best way you know that you can that's you're going to come up with something brilliant you know I don't I don't uh yeah we disagree on 80s music in this house <laughs> cool. he doesn't like Guardians of the Galaxy I take it uh not as much as i do probably oh oh, that was such a joy i loved hearing all of that i i think i just like the parody of the jazzercise anthem sticking super madness in the middle of this and giving that gremlin the personality this this movie's almost schizophrenic of we're going to do something really dark and then we're going to dance and then we're going to Christmas Carol, and then we're going to threaten a dog. Like it's just all all over the place. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. I I like that we we have some relief from darkness. Right? Are we ready to give out some awards? Gasp! Yeah, awards. sure. Okay, MVP can be a director, actor, supporting actor. Tessa, who are you giving our MVP for Gremlins? I mean, we just finished talking about music, so I got to say our composer, Jerry Goldsmith. Ooh, I like it. I like that choice. He won an award, Best Original Soundtrack, so he was recognized. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great choice. I wanted to acknowledge the entire cast of professionals that went into creating and operating the puppetry. Chris every, Wallace's wor- workshop, yeah. Every aspect of the puppets was just brilliant. And I think that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, if, if that, if that had been done differently, we probably wouldn't have cared, but these, the puppets are just so absolutely brilliant. They're, they're extremely lifelike. There was a lot of craft that went into making sure that we, the viewer believed that was real. You're totally right. I, I have to hand it to them. It holds up. Um, there are very few moments where I think something could have done, been done better. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just have to think that, you know, the hard work that went into that was so pivotal to making this movie work. Yeah, you're totally right. This movie is a disaster. If Gizmo isn't endearing or the gremlins are just stupid looking, they they have to be a little bit silly. So, yeah, I I went Chris Wallace's workshop as well. So they're the masters behind the Gremlins and Gizmo. Tessa, who is your best supporting actor? Hmm. I mean, I guess we put Howie Mandel as Gizmo supporting Billy, or should it be Billy supporting Howie Mandel? Depending I, on who your lead is <laughs> in your mind. I like the Howie Mandel pick. That's awesome. I mean, Without that voice, Gizmo's not nearly as endearing. Like that cute, just baby talk voice. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Frances Lee McCain, who plays Lynn Peltzer. Oh. She, um, dang, she brings it. She brings it. This mom doesn't hesitate. She knows something's off and she goes into battle mode. I love her in this movie. She and she does not fall for any of the stereotypical horror movie 
fails, she makes sure to double tap. She's got to make sure <laughs> those guys. She got <laughs> those, two knives. Uh, Mogwai are dead. Uh, yeah, one and then another. She yeah. actually goes like a Ashoka on us, and she's got like a huge carving knife in each hand, <laughs> and she's gonna shred whatever comes in her way. <laughs> no, I love her, and I think that like that. I mean. To me, she wasn't a mom who, like, ran screaming. She went into battle mode, and I love that about this movie. Yeah. We were talking about earlier where she could have died, but they didn't. I was just like, no, this makes so much more sense. They're on her turf. <laughs> yeah, she's... <laughs> yeah, they're in her house. She's going to defend. <laughs> she gets the best kills of the entire movie. I mean, For she real. had... She has yeah. the blender that scarred everyone at seven years old, and she gets the microwave kill and just going Just the ham. look on her face. <laughs> right. right. She's unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. She's got more of like a Sigourney Weaver and alien vibe than the runaway, like damsel in distress kind of thing, which, you know, right. we all love that. Uh, we also we love a powerful female character, and then of course they bench her as soon as Billy gets there. She's like, "Oh, my hand!" I was like, "Whatever." She wrapped that, and she's going to kill like twenty more gremlins. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a strange decision after we saw how much damage she could do. Right. <laughs> maybe it, maybe they thought it became too easy. <laughs> they unleash she's, her on the rest of the movie. The movie's over pretty fast. <laughs> she's OP. Right, we're done. <laughs> Got to like nerf the small movie. <laughs> she did not have plot armor, so yeah. <laughs> I I went with Dick Miller. He was recognized, Mister Futterman. I just think he's hilarious in every every one of his scenes. He's got that old man rambling, and then he's got the vendetta with the gremlins. So every time he shows up, I enjoy him. Hidden gem, Tessa? You picked my hidden gem for uh, best supporting. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Murray Futterman was my best hidden gem because of his sort of, uh, he kind of does a bit of exposition or like a different angle on the gremlins for us as a potential backstory, you know, um, which is really nice. And yeah, he is just kind of like the friendly doddering, you know, uh, local drunk who is just trying to like, Give advice and you know tell stories Harry, who's your hidden gem uh, i'm gonna go with frank welker i mean he's one of the most prolific voice actors of all time probably and i mean he's absolutely creepy in this movie you know a stripe so oh, i was yeah. like kind of dumbfounded that a lot of the you know voices i remember from my childhood are actually stripe Hmm. <laughs> a little bit disturbed by that but um i think that that's just a testament to his talent i like it i i went with the true hidden gems of subtle references and the one i'm specifically going to call out is the wreck car on the way to chinatown why because it's an amc gremlin and the logo actually looks a lot more like our gremlins. They are infamous for breaking down. So that's part of the joke as well. Mm. Tessa mentioned some of the E.T. jokes. There, There's quite a bit. Uh, there's the E.T. Like, toy in yes. the toy store scene. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's a poster that has the project name for E.T. I can't remember what it's called now. Mm. 
but the the code name for ET is is on the background. So there's a ton of Steven Spielberg influence and references throughout this movie. Recast. Now this is an interesting one because we didn't have a huge budget. We have a bunch of unknown actors and actresses here. Tessa, who are you recasting? I guess Barney the dog, because I think they had some issues with the dog, which is another reason they got rid of him. Well, not got rid of him, but went to the ant's house. So maybe they recast a a different uh, animal actor that could uh, work well with a a puppet. Oh, are you getting Shadow or Chance from Homeward Bound? Or were they were they even around yet? I I don't know. (laughs) Airbud's not around, right? Homeward Bound wasn't around till the nineties. What? Yeah. They, they were either young pups or non-existent. When was Beethoven? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like all these movies are in the 90s Aww, with dogs. Barney the dog is cute. Yeah. I didn't realize he was having... I mean, I, I I did wonder that at some point. You think the, the gremlins might actually scare him. Mm. You know, like if you were a small animal, which he's small, and you see mm. that... <laughs> on set with you it'd actually be pretty terrifying so uh, that might be very difficult as a um as a as a dog coming onto the set and you see something that you think might try to eat you yeah. <laughs> it was, difficult. i think zach galgan called barney the dog the best co-star he's ever had so he did love barney oh okay for some reason i thought i heard that the dog was a little hard to work with, but maybe I misheard and was thinking about a different animal actor. Oh, I, I think in my research, I ran across something like that too, that he had trouble interacting with the puppets. Yeah, yeah he, that, he and did. And that makes total sense. Like, yeah, Zach Galligan just liked the dog and thought he was sweet, but Joe Dante probably wanted to do similar bad things to the dog. Probably getting a lot of retakes because the dog being like not knowing what to do <laughs> that may be what was going on with chris columbus like we are going to have this dog be killed i'm going to rewrite all of mrs deagle's lines <laughs> it's just coming through in this film uh all right mary who are you recasting well you know i i found myself wondering why is why is Judge Reinhold actually in this movie? Wasn't he starring in the lead movie in 1984? Didn't you just tell us the Beverly Hills Cop was yes. the number one movie that year? What, what's he do, even doing? <laughs> I mean, he has better things to do. And the answer is not much in this movie, yes. <laughs> right. I mean, this could have been anybody. You'd think that like he would be better served somewhere else in a bigger role. And I did read somewhere that he... Um, was intended to have originally more of a role in the movie and his Mm -hmm. slowly he got kind of got cut out of it which is you know i mean i kind of think that might have been a good decision his character was super douchey and maybe we didn't need that for this movie (laughs) so i'm i'm gonna say maybe we re like maybe he would be my recast he certainly didn't need another job that year i mean (laughs) how much money did he make that year um so maybe did we even need his character at all, except to make yeah. up? We we could have made the he you know he made some points about how Billy's working hard and supporting his family and hits on Kate and and, and yeah we could have done without him creepy mm-hmm. hitting on you know the female lead. Um, 
yeah, maybe we just subtract him out. We find a way to achieve his role, not actually replace him with somebody. You know, let him go. Yeah, don't um, even have you know, the manager. You know, Different exposition. Other movies that year, so you know, from someone like, else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not really I, replace him, but work his work his, you know, character and get that achieved in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think. The only other thing that he really serves as a purpose besides exposition is to show that Kate specifically snubs him and he's not her type, which leads us to be like, oh, well, then what is her type? And then we're like, oh, ho, when Billy asks her out and she's like, yeah, sure. You know, I think he just serves to be sort of like a potential like competition and just like, you know, just kind of giving us more insight to his life at his job, I guess. But yeah, I know what you mean. It just seems like besides the point. Right. Yeah. Right. You've always got to have the 80 sleazeball manager. So that's just mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, for me, it was Hoyt Axton. And I actually think he's a fantastic fit for Rand Peltzer. I, I love the character. I love all the goofy inventions. But every time I'm watching him, I'm, I keep thinking, what if this was John Candy? Like he's, hmm. he almost seems like he's doing a John Candy impression. Mm-hmm. So why not? Chris Columbus and John Candy have a thing. Let's, let's do it again. Hmm. I can see that. Best shot. That could work, yeah. And we've got a lot in the dark, but uh, best shot, Tessa. Oh gosh. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Best shot or cinematic moment. Um, I got to say at the very end, when stripe is dying on top of that water fountain and um basically just kind of like falling and melting like the wicked witch of the west basically there's some really interesting things going on there as far as like them using like bladders and and like reversing film and stuff to kind of get this effect yeah i've watched this movie a dozen times but somehow i forget that scene every single time and every single time like wow this is dark (laughs) just seeing him melt on this fountain yeah and it keeps moving yeah (laughs) mary what's your best shot there's um so there's a very still quiet moment it's very sort of an icy blue sort of color um and it is um uh, dick miller he's he's just come out of his house to find out why his TV's not working. Yes. Uh-huh. And we're looking up at Dick Miller. And I don't even know if there's any music at this point at all. It might be totally silent. And we see the antenna just slightly, slightly moving where <laughs> the gremlins had been swinging on it, but they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're, so you have this moment of pause and you're thinking, where did they go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> we have a we have a camera angle looking up at this character who looks mm. terrified. Um because, you know, it's and, and then and then after that pause, after that quiet moment, that's when they bust through his garage in the snowplow. Yes. And that really awesome sort of carnival like theme starts playing and they starts running from his snow plow (laughs) one of my favorite just sequences in this movie that that just says it all to me i mean that to me is the whole movie summed up right there that calm before 
utter chaos. <laughs> right. You you could expect a lot of things, but the gremlins driving a snowplow is not one of them. Especially right, right. through you, the home. Right. You know something. You know you're about to see something bad, but then when the snowplow busts through the garage, that's just a moment of <laughs> shock that you didn't expect. It's joy, yeah, though. I love that, it. That theme kicking in can be used so well. Right. <laughs> Such an earworm. Yes. All right. For me, it speaking of earworms, it's the rear shot from the theater as we have all of these puppets singing along <laughs> in cinematic joy to hi ho and they're just hi ho, hi ho. Like they're not actually you get their little gremlin voices and they're their ears bobbing back and forth. It's a dark shot. But- you know what's weird is I think I probably had seen Gremlins before I ever saw Snow White. Hmm. And so, yes, I think the first time I saw Snow White, it was like, oh, that's the movie from Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's true for me as well. Might have been me as well. I can't, I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's where I knew the song from, but it's just, it makes me smile every time. There's so much going on in that shot and so many unique things. Best scene, Tessa. Best scene, favorite plot point or acting? Ooh, let's see. Hmm. I gotta say, there's some something about the scene where the high school, or was it middle school even, the teacher, the science teacher calling Billy to let him know that they've hatched. And his tone, I don't know if it's excitement or fear. He's like, Billy, they've hatched. And I just don't, I can't discern whether he is either excited or scared. Or maybe, maybe a little both. Bit of, yeah. yeah, a little bit of both. And I mean, again, that's a horrible teacher. He's just like, he has a creature, doesn't know what it's turning into, in a classroom full of children where it shakes and falls off the table and cracks open and gets away and skitters off into the darkness. This reminds me... I don't know, Mary, if you're in my class, if it was third grade, we may have discussed this, but someone- I know where this is going. Yes. (laughs) Hoisted by my own petard. Stole my thunder. Anyway, so in third grade, someone brought in a glass, glass jar with a spider in it. This wasn't any spider. It was a black widow spider in a glass jar and someone decided to put it on the high shelf on the filing cabinet not down low no 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 we had to have it high out of the reach of the children i guess i don't know anyways at some point the cabinet gets knocked somebody puts something in it the jar falls over and cracks open and breaks all over the floor so there's glass and then there's also a spider that is stunned and all the children are screaming and jumping on their desks. The spider is not lunging at us. The spider might be dead. I don't know. Probably stunned. But anyways, <laughs> there's people hyperventilating. Somebody actually screaming. came and got my teacher. One mm-hmm. of the moments where I was like, I'm so grateful to be in an annex building right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was in that classroom. You were in the main when... building. <laughs> I, know. I was in the in room it happened. The teacher having a mogwai turning into a gremlin on his desk to where it could easily do that i was just like that's just negligible like negligence excuse me he's also feeding it chocolate which is a basic rule of basically all pets don't do feed not chocolate don't feed them chocolate they will die i mean yeah alien species but nevertheless it's like he loves chocolate stop <laughs> 
don't keep it in. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That dude was a menace. Mary, what's your best scene? Um, Mary, what's your best scene? My best scene. Um, so it's definitely with Billy's mom in the kitchen. Okay. I mean, yes. One never sees kitchen appliances the same way after that scene. <laughs> the whole sequence is just amazing. There are a ton of kids that grew up with a fear of blenders after this movie and microwaves. Funnily enough, it was a Peltzer blender, and it was like one of the few times it actually worked was when a gremlin was in it. Yes. Yes. Iron, As opposed to the, the coffee maker, which is just sludge, like disgusting sludge. For me, Tessa, Tessa covered it beautifully earlier. It's the attack on Mrs. Deagle. It's just funny throughout. We get the caroling at the beginning, which we didn't need to go there, but I love it. I love that they've got little mittens and... and diggle, 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 diggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do. That, She's got I a mean, great name. You have to give her credit. I it, I didn't realize it until I was re-watching it this time, but she actually grabs a pitcher of water because she's going to throw water on the carolers yes and she runs out with a full pitcher of water and she sees them and she just puts it down (laughs) and i have to give her credit she could have made a hundred more in that moment Maybe they were antagonizing her hoping that she would do that maybe from like the bushes the gremlin saw her like drench a bunch of carolers and they're like yeah let's go to that house we're gonna get some water dumped on us at that <laughs> she is just a horrible lady and is mary ruined and i will never see it ag- the same way again apparently a three-story house i do like her <laughs> being launched through the window i just feel like it's the gremlins at the most mischievous everything about that's just magic for me best wardrobe or makeup moment tessa hmm Oh gosh. Um, I guess best wardrobe is going to be the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, gremlin in the bar with the eighties workout clothes. Oh, yes. That's gotta be the best outfit right there is, is the, uh, like brightly neon colored, uh, workout yoga gear. Love it. With the high socks, the knee high oh, socks. You gotta. <laughs> Mary, what's your. So, so Corey Feldman dressed is as a Christmas tree was leaving me with questions. But... <laughs> <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, his dad, his dad was uh, owned the Christmas tree selling stand or whatever. So he was like basically a walking advertisement for his father. Right. Well, no, and... I get, I get, I get oh, that. Okay. But like, oh, okay. I mean, is it like a suit with branches glued on it? Yeah, I don't. I think so. Because you can't really see his face. You can't tell that it's a person. He just looks like a moving tree. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I, I love he has a scene where he's just dumping it at Billy's house. Right. And Billy's like, what about your dad? And he's like, I'll tell him that some bikers mugged me for it or something. I just don't want to wear it anymore. <laughs> I, I went with the grandfather. I just think it, everything about his get up makes me buy that he would own a mythical creature and know how to take care of it. He's got the whited out eyes. He's got like mystic rope. He has a long wizard pipe. I mean, that's just someone you listen to when they give you advice. The dad didn't, Billy didn't, 
listen to the dude in the antiquities shop that looks like he knows something and possibly owns a couple really interesting scrolls. So good job there (laughs) in that costume. Change one thing. Tessa, what are you changing on Gremlins? um, Change one thing. We already talked about getting rid of the coworker. Um, hmm. I mean, I feel like the dad is really absent in it, but I guess we need that so that Billy's having to deal with all this stuff on his own. Um, I feel like we could maybe have had some more scenes of gremlins, like messing things up, I suppose. Um, you know, I really don't know what I would want. To, I, I I can't really think of anything off the top of my head what I really would want to change about it. I feel like it strikes a really weird chord between dark comedy and horror and what, what they say family adventure fun. Right. What um, What is that category? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. What What do you guys think? So it sounds like you want like more gremlin mischief even spilling into maybe his inventions show. Oh, at the, I mean, that's a little bit far out from their town because the dad has to be far away or where all this stuff's going down. I mean, it'd be interesting to see more stuff going on at the invention fair, but I feel like that's probably not important. So I don't know. I'll support any amount of gremlin mischief you can add to this. I guess if you had a scenario where one of the pods like mm-hmm. got in the dad's car before mm. he left to go to the yeah. thing, you could engineer that so that there could be a gremlin with him where he is. Yeah. With all the inventions. Yeah. 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 Mm. Could totally make that happen. Yeah. I'm B-plot. sold. I'm sold. Mary, what are you changing? You know, I. It's hard not to, to pick apart the little stuff like the why why you know the inconsistencies and like the water and the eating after mm-hmm. midnight thing, mm-hmm. but you know some of that stuff you just have to let it slide and let it be what it is. One of the things I could not get past mm-hmm. was gizmo driving a barbie car like it's got an accelerator pedal it's just like that almost like crossed into a we know this movie is out there Mm -hmm. it's a stretch in so many ways the barbie cars they don't even have a motor in them you just you put a barbie in you push it along that's all it is yeah gizmo can't drive it I mean, what is that? So I feel like just there had to be another mechanism in that for me. And in the same in the same sequence, they've got um, Stripe holding a chainsaw, which is like a yes. miniature chainsaw. Oh, it's for it's like, trimming tree branches. It's like, it's like small. And I yeah. mean, even even that even if it's for trimming tree branches, that thing's going to be powerful enough to a get through that wooden baseball bat and b. It's just going to make Stripe fly off as he's trying to cut because he doesn't have enough body mass to be able to hold the thing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just like that's a disaster for everybody, including Stripe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if he's an alien, we don't know what his body mass is, even for how small he is. I mean, he could be very dense. I don't know. Um, That's that's true. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I it drove me bonkers with the Barbie car as well as a child, as a a, a young uh, AFAB watching right. no uh, Gremlins and someone who drive a Barbie car. owned Barbies and had a Barbie car and was just like, no, it doesn't work like this. Now, if it was like an RC car, but then he would have to be holding like a controller He'd in the car holding with the him. Yeah. Anyways. So ride in on Barney the dog instead of the Barbie RC car. Maybe. Maybe that was what was intended originally. I don't know. Again, let's recast this other animal. (laughs) I like the car. I'll be honest. But I understand (laughs) the frustration, especially if you owned it. It's like, that's not how it worked. For me, as I'm watching it, what has to go for me is the Santa speech. Uh, Studio Mm. executives wanted it out. Uh, Steven Spielberg hates the scene. Joe Dante insisted it be in because he felt that it was both horrific and comedic. I don't think it's funny at all. Uh, I think you could easily change it to dad said he was going to go out to get some presents and never came back. Like, Mm. you know, dad went for cigarettes and never came back and imply he walked out on the family, but to have dad dressed as Santa dead in the chimney. And that's how I found out there's no Santa Claus. Now, like I'm, I've been debating showing this movie to my daughter who is seven She's still like pseudo Santa might exist. And if Mm -hmm. I ship her this movie, that's just nail in the coffin. So I want more six and seven year olds to be able to see this movie and just experience (laughs) violence and mayhem like God intended. So (laughs) that's the thing that I think uh, a lot of kids like you could just forget it as a parent. Like, I really love this. Here you go. And then your kid's like, there's no Santa. It's ruined. So. Change that. Or you could have just generically had her dislike Christmas and then be like, see, Billy, what do you think of Christmas now? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Something you like sure that. Sure you like Christmas? <laughs> we, we didn't need dead dad dressed as Santa right. and ruining Santa Claus for everyone. Best quote, Tessa. Ooh, they're watching Snow White and they love it. Yes. Yes. So fair. What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Mary. Good one. Um, You know, I I think it has it has to be Mr. Fetterman for me. He says, you know, he's (laughs) the gremlins are driving that snowplow through his house, and he yells to his wife, "My cab! There's a gremlin!" Like question mark? There's a gremlin. There's a real gremlin in my cab. Yeah, he had said earlier that there's always gremlins. Yeah, so that was just a fun moment for me. Yeah, Tessa stole mine. But oh, I'm sorry. It's great. I I love it. I do. My backup is just I'm going to go back to what I use in my daily life. A bright light, bright light. My wife's not even a huge gremlins fan, but oh. I've gotten her to do it. If I'll turn on the light <laughs> in the morning, she'll just go bright light. I'm like, yes, gotcha. Yes. Uh, it was either the Snow White one or the one that Corey Feldman's character says at the beginning, like with the teacher talking about it's in the pupa stage, it's going through a lot of changes. And yeah. he's like, like my mom. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that one was pretty good. That's, that's awesome. Um, I also, I wrote down a, a runner up. Um, it's um, Jonathan Banks in the, in the police car and he he i had to actually rewind it to actually hear what he was saying because he's mumbling 
he says something like, why don't you start the car now, Frank? I'd like to go back to the station now, Frank. <laughs> yeah, he was scared. <laughs> I remember the that. Like, I'm sorry, he just wants to go back to the station. <laughs> Mrs. Yes. Mrs. Futterman also says something under her breath. I had to look it up. So when the gremlin, unbeknownst to her, Christmas carolers were out front, she calls them, I forget what she says exactly, something along the lines of like a bunch of mooching something or other but then she calls them a bunch of mooching glue sniffers yeah or something and i was like what i was like are christmas carolers known for sniffing glue i have no idea (laughs) i mean that's that's what we all did as kids we went and just huffed glue and then sang to neighbors that's and watched gremlins right (laughs) nothing wrong with our generation tessa do you have anything to plug Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, actually, while we were sitting here recording, I was actually sewing and working on a fiber art piece because uh, motor memory is a weird thing. Um, um, I have a show coming up at Guzu Gallery uh, here in Austin. It's going to be next week. Um, I think it should be next Friday. And it is... uh, themed off of, uh, I don't know, tiny creatures that could potentially fit in your pocket that you could force to fight each other. I can't say the actual name of what it's uh, (laughs) the licensed uh, company that this is uh, themed off of, but you get the idea. And I'm not encouraging uh, dog fighting. Please don't do that. Um, But uh, yeah, it should be uh, here soon. And uh, hopefully I get this done by tomorrow. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. So we've come to the end of our show. We've got our ratings and recommendations here at the round table. We do zero to five stars, half star increments. Tessa, what are you giving 1984's gremlins? Oh, um, 1984's gremlins. Oh, uh, all the five stars and maybe like one with like some like gnaw marks on it because a gremlin got to it. Um, and then, oh yeah, the exact date, sorry, because I don't know what time, what date y'all post these. Uh, the Three weeks from gonna... now. Oh, okay. Well, it's going to, the show will have been going on for about a week and a half, but uh, the show starts December 8th and it runs through the month of December. Okay. All right. Very good. So all the five stars. Mary, what are you giving Gremlins? I think I'm going to give it three. Okay. You know. Blasphemy. I, 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 Yeah. I get hung up on some of the things that I didn't notice as a kid. That's fair. That's fair. Sometimes we revisit. There's a special place in my heart for it. I am much more in the Tessa camp. People are debating whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. I'm firmly planting my flag. Not only is Gremlins a Christmas movie, it is the best Christmas movie ever made. It is a five. Yep. I, I'll take that on. This is a five-star movie. It is in my top five greatest horror movies ever. So I love it. I am so glad this was shortlisted. Hope everybody else loves it too. Uh, we are not going to pick a movie for next time because we are doing our 2023 year-end countdown and review. It's like a three-hour show where you can hear us just tell you what we actually thought of the movies instead of being nice. On, we're we're finally allowed to say bad things about some of the movies, but we say good things too. It's a fun time. Tune in, hear us argue with each other. Tell us, uh, tell us which one of us were most wrong. It's probably Russell. <laughs>
Yes. Spoilers for everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Tessa. This has been great. I I love when you two are together. I love this show. Keep shortlisting movies that I love doing. It's so much fun. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, wherever you get them. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's audio only. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it's not free. So please give us money on Patreon, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is very much appreciated. It goes towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Tessa? Yes, yes. Sometimes when you're alone at night and something isn't working, you should turn on all the lights in your house and check around because there might just be a gremlin in your house. <laughs>